Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things houses, home inspections, and anything else that's rattling around in our head. Well, welcome to today's episode. We are going to jump in eventually to bedrooms. And what are bedrooms? Technically, what's a bedroom? Practically, what's a bedroom? So that's going to be our conversation today. But before we do that, I'm going to throw it over to Ruben because he has a very tired look on his face. And I want to know why he looks like he's dragging a little bit. I am not dragging. I have never had this more energy in my life, Bill. We had the Tough Mudder race yesterday. We had a bunch of people from Structure Tech sign up to do the Tough Mudder. It was, we did the easy one. We did the 5K. There's, uh, there's different versions of it. It involves a bunch of running and a bunch of very, very muddy obstacle courses. And okay. it was a ton of fun. We had, a, yeah. we had a bunch of people come out and we killed it. Any large blisters in places they don't belong? No, no, it's not really not the kind of race where you get blisters or any of that. It's uh, it's it's pretty low key, and you know, there's a lot of people who walk between them. You know, got a few cuts, few few people got some bruises, things like that. I got some, I got it bandaged up. I got some good cuts on my elbow from climbing over these walls and putting your body on, you know, on on dirt and grit. I'll tell you the most shocking one out of all of them. There's one where you had to do, they call I think they call it the polar plunge. And it's where you got this gigantic, I don't know what it is. It's almost like a big piece of plexiglass at a 45 degree angle. And you got to climb up this ladder to get to the top of it. And it must be 50 feet wide. No, probably less than that. But you get up there and you slide down. It's like, and, and you get plunged in what looks like a mud pit. And, you know, every time you see a mud pit, it's like, it's warm, it's kind of gross. Well, you, you plunge down this one, you get to the bottom and you are submerged in basically an ice bath. You can't actually see the ice, but they've got pallets of ice and they just keep loading it into this pit and you expect something warm, but you go in there and it is freezing and everybody has the same reaction when their head pops up, they go, <gasps> and your eyes are wide open because you'd never expect a mud pit to be ice cold so that that was a fun experience and it was one where everybody jumped out very quickly okay tessa have you ever done a tough mudder well uh, i have not and after hearing ruben's colorful description of ice cold mud you know i don't i don't know why i decided not to i really missed out on a great opportunity it sounds like oh tessa i don't think that's every... like a great opportunity at all no everybody <laughs> was very glad we did it and we all signed up for next year's when we had to take a right turn for the 5kers and the the 10kers took a left turn we all kind of went uh why did we only do 5k <laughs> and there was a bunch of obstacles that we didn't end up doing and we all i mean it, it was unanimous we all agreed we're doing the 10K next year, and we all already signed up for it. You missed out, and Congrats. I'm going to be working on you to do the 10K next year, Tess. You too, Bill. <laughs> I'm busy that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Such a liar. <laughs> all right. Was that a fundraiser for something? No. Okay. No. And it was not an official Structure Tech event. It was just a bunch of us that got together. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. 
Let's let's bring this back to where we began the conversation. We're in a pretty hot housing market right now. And one good way to add value to your house, make it more attractive is by having more bedrooms. So we thought we'd take a minute to just define what a bedroom is per the code, like technically what's a bedroom. But then there's a practical matter to a bedroom too. And, you know, do you want to sleep in that thing that isn't really a bedroom, but somebody called it a bedroom on the on the MLS listing so that they could kind of bump the price a little bit. So Ruben, let, let's start with the technical side of things. What is a bedroom according to what what do you want to use? The IRC or or where you Yeah, go? let's go with the uh the building code definition. Hang on, let me look it up. Not defined. There is no there is no definition listed in the international residential code for a bedroom. So I'm not sure what it is. Maybe the closest thing I could find might be the term habitable space. Hmm. And the definition of that would be a space in a building for living, sleeping, eating, or cooking. And Hmm. then they also go on to say that bathrooms, toilet rooms, closets, halls, storage or utility spaces, and similar items are not considered habitable space. So where no bathrooms or, or toilet rooms, no closets, halls, storage spaces, those are not habitable spaces. But all the rest of the spaces, cooking, eating, sleeping, those are all living spaces or, or habitable spaces. So a bedroom would fall into that, but uh, a bedroom is not specifically defined. Okay. But what about egress and, and the code? Where Where's that discussed? Because you uh, need to have a certain egress in a bedroom. You, you do, you do. You, you need what, what they now call an emergency escape and rescue opening. And you're not going to find that under requirements for bedrooms. You, you're going to find that, that well, they, they say that you need this for basements, habitable attics, and every sleeping room. And what, what's a sleeping room? I don't know, but you, you need this for all these different spaces. And people always get hung up on bedrooms, but that's that's kind of an old requirement. You, you okay. need it for you need it for habitable. You need it for basements, for habitable attics. You need it for a bunch of different places. But today we're really focusing on bedrooms. And what's clear is that you need a way to get out of your bedroom if you have a fire or you have smoke pouring in. You need a way to get out quickly. So we could um, list these as qualifications, couldn't we, Ruben? Like in order for something to to be considered a bedroom, it would need to meet these different qualifications and. Real quick, should we highlight them? Just, yeah. I mean, the egress is one of them, the emergency escape and rescue opening, but also bedrooms would need to have a heat source and dimensions of at least seven by seven and a floor and Wait, area, what do you mean by seven by seven? Like dimensions of length by width, the, the room dimensions would need to be seven feet by seven feet. So you're saying if you had a room that's seven feet by seven feet, that's enough floor area? Well, here's another exception to that. The room has to have a minimum of 70 square feet total. So if you Uh had a room that was seven feet wide, one direction, it would have to be at least another 10 feet to meet that 70 square feet requirement. Gotcha. And then one other thing would be ceiling height. And here in Minnesota, it's seven feet, but there is an exception. Do you remember what that is, Ruben, the exception for, for older houses? 
Yeah, it's it's for basements, and it's something that went into effect fairly recently. And so if, if you're outside of Minnesota, this probably doesn't apply to you, but we got this new thing that says that if, if you've got an existing basement and you want to put a bedroom in there and you don't have seven feet of ceiling height, you can actually reduce your ceiling height down to six feet, four inches. I mean, that is a huge reduction in the required ceiling height but you can reduce it all the way down to there and you can still have a conforming bedroom. And I guess the idea is that they wanted people to be able to take a room that otherwise wouldn't be a legal bedroom and make it legal and at least be able to look at all the rest of the safety features. I mean, make sure you got, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself because I was going to start listing all the safety requirements for a bedroom, but they want people to be able to take this room and make it code compliant so that they can still get the building official in there to look at all these other safety requirements instead of having people say, well, forget it. I'm just going to put a bed in there and call it, call it done. And I'm not pulling permits. Yeah. I remember when you were teaching me about that, that, um, you know, you explained it in a way that made a lot of sense. It's like people that have these older houses, they cannot get seven feet of ceiling height if they finish their old basements. It's just not possible with the structure. And so people are going to put bedrooms in their basements anyways. And the city was just concerned about people that were going to be doing that without pulling permits to make sure that they had the other safety requirements in place. And so the city was like, okay, we'll forgive you. <laughs> you can't yeah. change the ceiling height in these old houses and we know you're going to do it anyways. So <laughs> yes, we'll let yes. you get away with six foot four. Exactly. Okay, the 70 square foot requirement, let's talk about that. Is that a requirement that is underneath that legal head headspace or what's the technical word for you know, like clearance? Headroom. Headroom, okay. Mm -hmm. is, is 70 square feet required under the headroom or can it be a portion of that? Like, cause people do this in attics. I'm sitting in an attic right now that no matter where I go, except the middle of it, I have to bend over or tip my head or something. So we've got this awesome play space, but we don't have a bedroom here. Yeah, I, I'd say it, it probably wouldn't be considered habitable space by a strict building code definition, Bill, because there is a section that talks about one and a half story attics. And it's that you need to have seven feet for a width of three and a half feet. Now on yours, yours just yours makes a triangle. You don't have this big, this big flat hallway that you can walk down where you have a bunch of ceiling height. Yours just ends at a peak. And whether you take one step to the right or the left, you start losing headroom. So yours, yours would not count. You need to have at least seven feet high for a width of three and a half feet. Wow. I'm just thinking there are not very many story and a half houses I've been in where they have three and a half feet of width of seven foot ceiling height. Like you're lucky if it gets to seven feet ceiling height at the peak, like the top of the triangle in most houses, it seems like. I don't know. I, I, I've i got one. I mean, I, I have one. I used to have yeah. one when I lived in Minneapolis. I, I know at least one other person on our team has one in Richfield. They, they exist, but- When you get it, when yeah, you get the super steep roofs, you get more headspace. So- yeah. Like my house is a modified two story. So I have vaults in my second story at like six feet. The It vaults up for a little bit before the ceiling starts. And that's why I have so little headroom in my attic space because we've started even lower in, in the second floor. So it, this really is a headspace. It's a 
tube like thing for me to podcast from. Yeah. We don't use it as a bedroom. And you know, if anyone's confused about what we're trying to describe, you know, verbally, there's a nice picture that you drew out, Ruben, of these requirements, right? How can people find that? Yeah, we we will put a link in our show notes. The blog post title was Bedroom Ceiling Height and Floor Area Requirements for 1.5 Story Homes. And <laughs> I made I made a YouTube video to go along with it. I, I've got a nice diagram I made. It's It all lays it out very clearly. And if you want the official code section, you could pull open your Minnesota State Building Code book and turn to section R305, and it'll talk to you, talk to you all about all the little nitpicky requirements. Okay, so those are the technical requirement. And that's right. You mentioned a heat source. Well, um, well, those are some of the technical requirements, I guess. I mean, yeah, we got we got a heat source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you need you need a way to keep it at the design temperature of what is it? It's like at least sixty-eight degrees during the dead of winter. Is that right, Tess? Oh, I I don't know, but it, it, you just let's just go with that. The, that sounds good sure, to me. It sounds good. <laughs> the code just wants to make sure people don't freeze. You know? Yeah, yeah. Sixty-eight degrees, I believe, measured three feet high off the floor, uh, and however that's achieved. You know what? Um, and it, it makes me think about people who say, "Well, you need a supply register and a return register." That's not true at all. You need a heat source. You don't need a return register. Now, if you got a heat source and there is no return in the room, it might have a difficult time keeping that room comfortable. It might be a good idea to undercut the door or put some type of air transfer system in there, but there is no requirement for a return register in a bedroom. And in fact, for a return register in any room, you need a way for the air to get back to the furnace, but this will be a good future podcast topic, and we will cover this in a future podcast. Return. Yeah, out. a lot of times we see like electric baseboard heat, you know, added to certain rooms that may not be part of the ductwork system to get that heat source in there. Right. Yep. Yep. And and also on that topic, there's no requirement for AC. You don't need an yeah, AC right. system in a house. Period. Yeah. Yep. yep. Don't have one at the cabin. It's just heat. It's one way. <laughs> Windows provide the cold air. Have you ever been in a basement bedroom where you walk in and you're like, I've yet to see the furnace, but I'm standing in a bedroom. And then you see some like louvered bifold door and, and behind that lives the, the furnace and water heater. Is that cool? Oh. Is that acceptable? And does that room meet the requirements for being a bedroom? I'm going to turn this over to Tessa for her one word answer. It depends. That's too- <laughs> <laughs> <It's> whatever. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, well put, Tessa. Uh, so concise. <laughs> and and she's absolutely right. It there's a lot of uh there's a lot of different variables. And you know what? We should we should make that into a separate show because I mean that that could take up a whole show talking about when you can have gas appliances in bedrooms, what the little rules are. So Maybe uh, maybe tune in next week, and we'll have a we'll have a follow up on that. Can you give us some guidance? Can we go from depends to ninety percent of the time is no, and ten percent of the time is yes? Or what? What can you give me on? Yeah, that's a that's a good way of putting it. I mean, in general, if you have a furnace that uses air inside the house for combustion, you probably can't have it in there. 
If it's a direct vent furnace, meaning it takes all of its air for combustion from the outdoors and vents all of the exhaust gas directly to the outdoors, it's a sealed system where it never talks to any of the air inside the home. You probably can have it in a bedroom, but th there's more to it than just that. Okay. Okay. So that's a teaser, I guess. Perfect. Perfect. Well, what about the always present question of a closet? Do you have to have a closet in a bedroom? <laughs> That's a great question, Bill. And I just feel like we, you know, we teach continuing education courses for real estate agents. And this always comes up every always. single class from real estate agents. They're like, when we're talking about bedrooms and how we inspect houses and everything, they, you know, they always want to know, does it have to have a closet? Ruben, I'll let you take this one away. Uh, I could, I could be very concise, Tess. <laughs> What's your answer? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do not need a closet. There is there is no requirement to the building code for a bedroom to have a closet. There never has been. And I'm not aware of any requirement for real estate where a, a bedroom needs to have a closet to be called a bedroom. Everybody talks about it. They say, yeah. well, everybody knows you need a you need a closet to call it a bedroom. And I've been asking the same thing for the last, I don't know, as long as I've been blogging for the last 12 years or so, show me the requirement, show me anywhere, show me the FHA requirement, whatever it is, show me a document that says you need a closet to call something a bedroom. And everybody says, well, it's in there somewhere. I know because I've heard it and everybody knows it, but I have never seen this in writing. So I can't say it doesn't exist in writing anywhere, but... I've been asking for it and I've never seen it. If anyone's listening to this podcast and you know where it exists, please send us that documentation. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard people say, well, it used to be an FHA requirement. The lender might require it. That's all well and good. Everybody might have their own little rules. Like before they want to loan money, they want to see a closet. That's fine. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about some type of requirement. That's, that's what I'd like to see. Okay. So have you ever really seen a bedroom in question on the main floor? I can think of one circumstance where somebody might really push the boundaries of what a bedroom is on a main floor, but the vast majority of the time, it's a attic that's been retrofitted. It's a basement that they're trying to retrofit. You know, well, most of the time, Bill, but I've seen my share of homes where there are no bedrooms on the first floor. There never were any bedrooms on the first floor. It wasn't built that way. They had two bedrooms upstairs on the second floor and neither one of those had a closet. Neither one of those I'm sure ever had a closet. They just weren't built with those. So I, I don't take issue with this. Yeah. Well, I was going back to just the size of a bedroom where it's trying to get shoehorned into a main floor. It's, it's rare that we see it. Maybe, maybe in a house where you're trying to add a in-law or somebody like give a another generation so to speak a place to lay their head at night as they age or something like that or around colleges and universities where a landlord might be trying to maximize the number of rooms they have in a house for student housing or something like that but usually they're in the basement and usually they're in the attic when it comes to rooms that are in question whether they meet the requirements for a bedroom yep Okay, then the only other bridge you're to cross or box to check would be safety requirements for a bedroom. So I'll throw it over to you two because you're in the weeds on this. What do you need to see in terms of safety requirements when it comes to a bedroom? 
Well, we've already mentioned one of those things, and that's the emergency escape and rescue openings or an egress window. So we look for that. And we've talked about this on other podcasts, so we won't get into the weeds on what that is exactly and and how to define that. But check out our other podcasts on that. There, there was one we did with a uh, fire inspector and home inspector, Brockverville, with the city of Albertville. We just did that recently. The title was Fire Codes Are Written in Blood. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot. I, I really grilled him on how he reports on small window openings as a home inspector. I think it was good perspective and we were 100% aligned. I mean, at Structure Tech, we report on stuff the exact same way. So I, I thought it was a really good discussion. Sorry, Tess, back to you. No, that's perfect. I, and I think it's important to bring that up. We are not code officials. We're not code inspectors, but we are looking for these safety issues. And we'll put it in our report if if you know a window does not meet you know these standards. But the main thing is, right, I'm sure you agreed with Brock, that you're checking to see if people could escape if there was a fire someone could get out of the window basically and it, that's you know, the important too thing far? yes yeah if it, is it too far off the ground would someone need a step stool to get up or is it too small an average person couldn't fit out those are the things we're looking for that's right you're saying the bedroom i grew up in that was in a basement that had that little 18 inch by two foot pop open you know basement window and a rambler was was not a bedroom we're you're saying lucky you're to lucky be to be here, be here. <laughs> <laughs> jinx, yeah, jinx. Living uh, my family they did some <laughs> odd things <laughs> well besides the the window stuff i think what you're getting at bill is talking about like smoke and co alarms and so that's another thing that's really important every bedroom should have a smoke alarm inside the bedroom and then you should also have a carbon monoxide alarm, a CO uh, detector, outside and within 10 feet of the bedroom. Okay. Yeah. And if you right. want to stick one inside the bedroom too, you can. Yeah. But the only one that's required in, here in Minnesota is that you have one outside within 10 feet. And both devices should be not yellow or old or, you know, original to the house. If you've got a house built in like 1980, you want to make sure that the, that they're, you know, functional and what, what's the average lifespan for a smoke alarm around 10 years, three to five, 10 years. years. Okay. And what about a carbon monoxide alarm? Well, they, they used to be five and then some of them had seven year warranties, but now that they're making them dual or what is it? Not a dual sensor alarm, a combination alarm uh-huh. where it's both a smoke and a CO alarm. Now manufacturers are upgrading it and they're saying the CO sensors are now good for 10 years. Yep. So just depending on what you have, what type of make model you have, make sure that they're functional working and not uh, expired. Yep. As a matter of practice, did either of you have conversations with clients asking them how many bedrooms given house you were inspecting had listed on the MLS and did you ever say, well, just so you know, this one really doesn't meet the requirements, but I just wanted to alert you. If you're paying a premium for this space right here called a bedroom, it's technically not, but you know, I'm not getting into a pricing conversation with you. I just, I want you to know ahead of time, you're not buying a bedroom here. You're just buying a room. Well, I, I would never actually get into defining a bedroom since I don't even know how to define a bedroom, but I might have a conversation about it. Just say, hey, look, this this room down here in the basement where it's got a door and it's it's cordoned off, you know, may, maybe you might want to consider this an office space, but 
if if someone's planning to sleep down here, just be aware there's no good way for them to get out in case there's a fire. So I wouldn't recommend using this as a bedroom. I might I might have that conversation, but I'm not going to say, "Hey, look, the listing calls this four bedroom. I only count three. What gives?" Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's very confrontational to take that approach. It's it's a much softer approach and just saying, "Hey, look, if you're planning to do this, then maybe you'd want to do this. If someone's going to sleep down here, you'd probably want to have somebody put in a way for them to get out if there's a fire. It, it's as simple as that. You can guide them to that realization without just calling calling the question out. All right, let's put a wrap on this week's episode. But Ruben, I want you to remind everybody, if they want to send in questions, where do they send them to? Please send your emails, podcast at structuretech.com. Again, that's podcast at structuretech.com. And we would love to read them aloud and give you our best attempt at competent answers. Yeah, a couple episodes coming up. I just wanna tease these out. We're gonna do an episode on funky smells. We get a ton of requests to have our inspectors come out and try to investigate odd odors in houses. And so we're gonna dive into that topic and kind of give you our uh, our stance on, on smells. And then we're also gonna jump into that combustion safety conversation. When we pick up that conversation, we'll talk about uh, gas burning appliances and bedrooms and how everybody can stay safe in that manner. So yeah. thank you everyone. Uh, you've been listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. Thanks for listening. We'll uh, catch you next time. For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com.